Okay. Okay, okay, okay. We're logging in, we're live, and we are back to another episode of Ask Someone Else with myself, Kaz, or Kazi from Property by Kazi. Um, today we're going to be speaking to Radhika, which I'm really excited about. Just a few general updates. So just to let everybody know, we are now live um, and available on Spotify podcast, Amazon podcast, Apple Music. So if you're catching this and got to go shoot somewhere else, these episodes will all be uploaded um, to all your digital streaming platforms. So you can watch and listen to us there. They're also going to be on the YouTube, Property by Kazi, all one word. So if you haven't already, make sure you head over there to subscribe. Um, but without further ado, let me get my sensational guest. Added her, um, and we're going to talk property. So, hello, hello, hello. You're very punctual. Hey, how are you? I'm good. And look at that lighting. Is that a ring light? I can, I can sense over there. Yeah, it's a massive one. Ah, uh, I can see it. You're, you're looking sensational. How are we today? <laughs> Thanks. I don't know where your video is gone. It just says Mojang now. Okay. Well, I can see you. Um, you can see me, and I think, I think we're all good. How's your weekend been? I can't see you. One second. Let me just turn off my. No problem. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> so yes, everyone, if you're not already following, make sure you're locked into all the socials. I've actually just seen, because I always do a little, a little bit of snooping, and I've seen, <laughs> Radhika, you've actually joined Instagram, oh, no, sorry, um, YouTube, about a week ago. Yeah, I literally started a week ago. Do you know what? My aunt, who's my business partner, has been pushing me to do it for ages, oh. and I saw... Um, I saw loads of people doing it and I was like, you know what, I hate doing videos, but I'm just going to have to do it. And you've got to start somewhere, right? So yeah, I'm joining the YouTube clan and yeah. I feel like, you know what, I feel like this should really, really be something we should talk about today because you do smash a lot of stuff in social media. I like a lot of the stuff that you do. Um, but I did actually think when I looked and I saw you only joined a week ago, I said, no, nah, you're missing a trick. You're good buying the camera. You've got a lot of good content. You put a lot of energy into Instagram. And I don't feel like Instagram really gives us back enough a lot of the time. Like yeah. the way the algorithm currently works, that you might have a load of followers, but nobody gets to see stuff if you're not literally posting 100 times a day. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's good that you've joined. But yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's another income stream. I don't know. I'm still at the beginning, but at least YouTube, you can monetize it. You get to a certain stage. So yeah. It's another income stream that I didn't think. I should have started that first, to be honest, because Instagram, I get people messaging me, but it's not really relevant to property and I don't really want to promote something that I've never used or my whole yeah. property, not about anything. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it is hard to directly monetize Instagram, but what you get is the knockoffs and the spin-offs that you might get a deal you didn't get before or you might have a conversation, open a door to somewhere um that you may not have been able to get into without a following or without that shop window you've created <laughs> i actually did that over the weekend so i went to newcastle yesterday okay. there's a lady that i've um she's put out a few posts i've never really spoken to her and she posted out a deal and we have money sitting there at the moment because we've kind of moved away from hmos at the moment and okay. she put up this post and i was like i never considered the northeast but let's go and see and I got chatting to her and then I also met Cove Properties as well and it I would have never met these people if it wasn't for social media so it's just crazy to think how much it's changed um, my whole input into investing. Yeah no definitely I think for, for me as well 
Like I never looked at social media to be like, I want to make money off it because we're fortunate enough that we're in a field that if you're doing it well, which you should be if you're advertising it, um, that the money's there already. And it's kind of more of just in a marketing tool rather than something. Don't get me wrong. Like if somebody turns around and starts saying, look, <laughs> your, your YouTube videos are going to get 100,000 views every month and we're going to pay you an extra thousand pounds, I'll take it. But I don't think that was ever the driver, personally anyway, behind the socials. It, no, not not for Instagram anyway, mm. not for me. Um, but it's also, I think, building your authority as well, especially with YouTube, because even on Instagram, I was thinking of doing Instagram um, TV, but mm -hmm. I can't actually find how to find an Instagram TV unless you go on someone's profile. I don't even know how to create one anymore. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit, it's, it's weird, I think. You know, they are saying, I watched um, an interview recently with um, CEO Cast. He did with um, this young guys really into sort of social media and tech. And he was talking about saying, you know, potentially, you know, Instagram could be the next platform to die. Like when they say in terms of numbers or, or something, I think it is really important to diversify. Do you use TikTok at all? I did, but I literally haven't used it. I, you know you're, what? You're so good with the reels though. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I should I should just I might just use all my content that I already have and just post yeah. I, I'm so time poor that it still takes me a while to do all of this stuff and then do property everyone's like do you actually invest in property like what I, do you do listen, in property do you just do Instagram and YouTube listen, we're both we're both just going to become full-time content creators and I don't know like try and you might just randomly start fighting boxers because that seems lovely what the go-to thing is you just become a content creator and then get a big payday from a pay-per-view so maybe <laughs> that's the way to go and we just stop doing property yeah um so God, talk, talk to me about your journey because obviously that's why we're actually here so I think it'll be good to kind of touch 50-50 on the content side of things and your journey so obviously we've got Radok here but go and explain to us like sort of how old you are when you got into property what your first project was and um, yeah. we start from there um, 26 now. I started when I was 23. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, one of my friends posted an Instagram thing about some seminar or something. And I, I don't even think I even started my first corporate job at this point. Um, I took a gap year and did all of that stuff um, after university. And I just wasn't sure what I was doing. And I didn't want to sit there and get a 20k job. And I was going through all these interviews within sports science, going to big corporations like uh, Bupa, um, you know, NHS, things like that. And I just wasn't satisfied. And then I ended up working in sales and then just using that driver, but also found property on the side of that. And I just started to learn about it more and more. I was going to network meetings, YouTube, uh, reading books, etc. But it was a little bit overwhelming. And I have a twin brother, if anyone doesn't know, I actually have a twin brother. Um, okay. but he I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about it. But we started learning more about property, but he wanted to do um, his SEMA exams and go into accounting before he starts investing in property. So I kind of took that on myself. And my aunt was also investing. So two of my aunties also invest in property. And she actually had this opportunity to work with someone that she's known for quite a while. And if people don't know me, I use sources for every single deal that I have because I don't invest in London. Um, and yeah, so she had a chance to work with this particular source and had two deals. I knew it worked on paper. And she, I was quite fortunate that she was like, look, this deal works, do your due diligence and here you go. And so she basically gave me my first property and we kind of went through it um, together. She was a little bit of ahead of me, a couple of months ahead of me. But essentially, this saucer and my aunties, 
helped me do everything about my first property and it was just amazing because I don't think I would have ever got that support if it wasn't for a close family member um, Mm -hmm. to help me guide that and then I started to want to do things on my own and see where I was getting to and then we just said let's just form a business between the three of us it's just so much easier we're all supporting each other why just not do it together what's the point of you going for one deal I go for one deal let's just do it together okay so when you started you said you started out um looking at like you started out obviously learning and you went to networking events what were the first events you went to and how did you find them (laughs) so my first networking meeting was horrendous so um I had just been dating someone at this point and he is now my boyfriend but he came with me and it was the most awkward thing because this guy was just so intense he came up to me he knew we were new we'd never been there before but we just sat in the corner it was so overwhelming Mm. And he was like, who are you? What do you do? What's your job title and all of this? And I was like, oh, I just, I work in sales. That's just me. He was like, no, you are a property investor. You're a property developer. And it felt like imposter syndrome at the time. And it was so overwhelming. I never wanted to go back. And he was like, you need a, a network with five people. And he would drag me along, literally like pull me along and say, talk to this person, talk to this person. But I didn't even know what I'm, I don't know what I was supposed to ask people like oh how did you get into property like I I just don't know um and I think you know when there's big no names in property as well Mm -hmm. when you're starting out you don't know those big names and I felt so awkward because there were some big names that I was just like oh this is so embarrassing I should have known who they were before um but it was just really awkward it put me off but then I didn't want that to affect me going forward and then I just started hearing property 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 and then just started going again. So I went to PIN, I went to Progressive, I do um, Legacy one um, as well. I can't remember the other ones I went to, but yeah, those were the main property ones I went to. No, that's good, that's good. I think I definitely, I struggled with networking in person. Yeah. And some people like a business partner at the time, um, co-founder of a business, like a rent-to-rent business, when we first started going to those types, like you said, Progressive and property, um, you know, prosperity and things like that um, that we were going to. And I did find, like, I just like to go there and sort of take stuff in as yeah. opposed to just be like, oh, let me chat to this person, this person, this person, this person. I found it a bit, yeah, like you, a bit awkward, a bit overwhelming. I think um, a bit more of an introvert as opposed to people that are just like really just out there and just love love chatting. But I think that's what's good about the social media world, that you can drop somebody a DM, you can network kind of online, a bit more within your comfort zone. I know they say get out of your comfort zone, but I think, you know, to start with, to build that confidence. And for those who are looking to get into property that maybe are not, you know, a natural or that are more naturally introverted, you can sort of, you know, network online, little message, you know, you can build a rapport with somebody just through (laughs) the socials as opposed to just being stuck out in the deep end and being like, right, talk, talk property. Because I've even got friends that are like estate agents and they've, they've been estate agents for like 10 years. And I would take them to an event like when I got more comfortable. But they just felt like, especially when, you know, you've got sort of 20 people, well, I've done this much GDV, I've done this, I've done that. And they're like, oh, but I'm just an estate agent. I'm like, bro, trust me, all these people want to meet estate agents because you've got the deals. Like, tell them, like, where you're working, what have you. But I know it it takes a while to get confident, um, you know, in in that regard. (laughs) So then your first deal... Um, your first deal so where where are you actually based you're from west london is it? yeah west london near west london. Yeah. okay so you're from west london but your I, first deal was in what area 
Tej's parents' house. I didn't know that. Say that again, sorry? I live around the corner from Tej's parents' house. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, Ted, Ted, Ted will probably be visiting. There's love to visit. Um, so, so, okay, so you live, live in West yeah. London. Where, where area was your first deal? In Burnley, <laughs> in Lancashire. In Burnley, okay, okay, okay. So that's, and how, obviously, you, you had the support system in place. You didn't necessarily, necessarily have the experience. How did you find sort of being quite an active sort of on on the job learner like what was the process like it was honestly a game changer because everything you learn from a classroom essentially or online is very different to what you actually go through in real life and anyone can get as much content as they want and they can go and sell you the dream like you know do you go on to this course go on this course and learn 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 but the actual experience that I learned going through the process is so much more valuable and so much more that I can explain to someone rather than someone telling me what to do. And I don't know if that's the kind of learner I am, but the experience of going through like how to buy a property. I'd never bought a property in my life. I didn't even know what I was supposed to be doing. I didn't know all the forms you had to go through. I didn't even know you had to go through money laundering. There was so much that I just didn't know and it was very early on so I think I started in March or April time in that in 2018 and that first property was presented to me in June or July so it was only a couple of months um that I had to like go through the process of this I didn't even know you can even get a mortgage under uh, 50k for a first time Bartonet investor um just little things like that as well so yeah Yeah. the the on-site experience is just is I think that's very much it. Understanding, you know, because a lot of the reason why I do these lives, there are so many people that are, you know, a lot of young people, a lot of people at different stages Mm -hmm. in their property journey. But the majority, I think, of my following are people that are trying to, obviously, they're starting out. They haven't maybe started yet. And I think understanding one thing you touched on, um, that what type of learner are you? Because so many people say, oh, like, you know, I'm this age. How do I get started in property? But I think it's not as straightforward as just that because it's not one size fits all from from everybody. You know, if you're an active learner, maybe actually going out there and doing is better for you. If you're more of an academic, maybe reading, researching, and then mm-hmm. filling in your gaps. If you're glad you need structure, then maybe a course might be for you. But I think really to kind of get your foot, foot in the door and, and start doing stuff, you need to work out what works best for you and play to your strengths. Yeah, most definitely. I think you also need to know what you enjoy in property as well, because that will make a big difference to how successful you are and where your business goes. Because if you actually go out and enjoy doing the refurb, for example, you like to go and project manage, that's something you can focus on and really excel in that area instead of having to do everything and being average at everything. You can still be in one field, but let the rest of the people do it like in their own things I don't do anything I don't find I don't like looking at properties I don't like going out and putting in yeah, office and this this is what's so funny like we're literally the opposite like that that bit I love that I love finding a deal because I just like like something I love when something's been sitting on the market and then I realize you lot have missed it you lot have missed it <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's like a that's like my win but like you said it's what motivates you because the other side of things when I used to work uh, when I had a rent to rent business I just like the administration and the the level of admin involved in lettings Mm -hmm. just wasn't my strength 
So having to, you know, stay compliant with this regulation, that regulation, these notices, that notices, even the customer service from a tenant perspective, I much preferred, like you said, like being out there doing the viewings, project managing, being on site, etc. And it's like, yeah, I think for, for, for budding property investors or developers, know yourself and play into your strengths. I think you hit the yeah. nail on the head there. Yeah, definitely. But I also think, because I work in a very stressful sales job as well, like constantly like going off, it's like basically the same though, buying property and going through the process and building up your pipeline. It, it's literally sales and yeah. what I do on a day-to-day basis. So having the stress from that, I don't think I can transfer that <laughs> into the stress of putting down offers, getting rejected. It's just the follow-up systems and checking every single day, et cetera. So I think, yeah, you've got to pay to what you're really good at what you enjoy as well. Okay. And then so talk about it in Bur- Burnley or yeah. Burton? In Lancashire. Burnley. Okay. Yeah. So what type of property was this? Was the first one a HMO conversion? Yeah. So I decided to go through the HMO conversion because that's all I was taught. I was always taught every time you go to property network meetings, um, if you speak to another investor, everyone's like, go down the HMO route. So I just did that based on what people were telling me. In hindsight, I wish I'd just changed that into a buy-to-let, to be honest. Um, and the reason I say that is because the numbers are really good on paper, but just the area, I had so many problems with it when conversion, but I can talk that in, in a bit, but let me go back to kind of the HMO conversion. Yeah. So it was £39,999 to purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, so it had to be a cash buy. I was so grateful that my family were able to help me and my aunt convinced my family to help me as well. Um, uh, there was a £20,000 council loan to refurb the property. So it's the empty home zone. So I think I put in about, I literally put in about £5,000 extra on the refurb. I haven't yet got a mortgage on it, so I've never really valued the property, so I don't really know where the end value sits on. But okay. I, it was getting rented, um, and I always had tenants in there, um, but tenants kept coming and leaving. Um, so I think the best month that I ever had was about £700 minus lettings fees. Um, so profit-wise, it was 300 Um with with remember there's no mortgage on here as well so if i had taken out the mortgage then covid hit and it was a blessing and it'd been on rent i was getting over a thousand pounds minus lettings fees every month not minusing bills or anything like that but just gross um minus the lettings was about a thousand pounds and now it's gone the complete opposite and i'm only getting 75 pound a week so it's about 300 ish 350 pounds a month right now so now i'm like considering do i change it into a buy to let or do i just keep it as a HMO at the moment because I'm in negative at the moment. So yeah, sorry, no, I kind of like spurted everything out. <laughs> but yeah, it's alright. I think, we're, but that, that's it. And I think it's good. Like it's not good, but to hear the wins and the losses in property are important mm. because that's where the lessons come from. Um, and understanding, you know, what 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 makes sense, you know, when when doing a deal, when it like you know, just because like I said, like everybody's talking HMOs doesn't mean HMOs are going to be right all the time mm. um, for every property that you're doing. So you mentioned you got the um, council loan. Was that something you were aware of that you could get prior to buying the property? Yeah, so uh, a lot of the, the deal that was sourced to me, it says you have the option to have the 20,000 um, council loan, which is interest-free for 10 years, which is pay off on a monthly basis. Okay. Um, and obviously when you're starting out, every little helps. So if you yeah. can... Like if you can get all of these types of loans to help you out, 
and it's interest free for 10 years you know what for me I would have been like yes I need that because it would have helped me convert the property into a HMO yeah no that's good I mean they always say obviously when looking at money if you can get cheap money which is the same reason that loads of people took the bounce back loans because nobody's going to ever offer you you know (laughs) money at like two percent a year for the next five or potentially 10 years so um it's really really good and particularly if you're in the investment field just looking at how you can um maximize you know anything that you've got particularly for first-time investors or first-time buyers the difference you know obviously this property did like we weren't able to mortgage it but you can imagine if the property was maybe eighty thousand and you had to put in um a 25 percent deposit of twenty thousand you're effectively saving half your capital if you can get a twenty thousand pounds loan to develop the property so i think using creative solutions and you know looking at you know there's more than one way to do things is always important and someone asked do you know the name of the loan that you got yeah it's called empty homes loan I haven't heard anyone do it since COVID, but before COVID um, or the lockdown, um, I know there's a few councils that do it, but you can't just go to the council saying what properties fall under empty home home zone. You have to go through um, trying to find the deprived areas within that location and find out where the boarded houses are. And because um, somewhere like London, like you're probably not going to get it, or somewhere. Yeah you're probably not going to get it because those are more of the developed houses but it was a scheme that was put in place to help those rundown houses get back on the ladder where people get back onto um yeah being occupied effectively yeah being occupied sorry that was bad um (laughs) pressure it's the the pressures of the camera you know exactly what you want to say to the camera goes on and then you're like ah um yeah, so they, don't, they effectively don't want um, empty houses. So if they can yeah. do anything in their power to help developers where people can't actually afford to buy houses in that area, but they can work with a council to give it back to the council and in some way, shape or form to get it occupied, then they will do everything in their power to help that. And if that means giving loans out to redevelop the property, then they would. But it, it is very postcode dependent. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a, it's, it's a case of obviously like a regeneration. It's a specific... Yeah. Uh, measure to obviously help in a specific council obviously subjects them having the budget but I would say you know for those that you know sat are interested in something like that off the back of Covid and Brexit there's I think there's going to be a lot of fiscal measures to try and help to stimulate the housing market and the economy as a whole mm-hmm. so I wouldn't be surprised if maybe not that exact scheme but some similar schemes for areas where they're trying to incentivize regeneration yeah. and jobs particularly in areas where maybe they've invested in infrastructure as well. You wouldn't be surprised if you see similar types of schemes. Um, obviously, yes, that's really good. Okay, so that, that was deal one. Um, and where, where did you go from there? So what was your, your next strategy from there? Yeah, so I actually took a bit of a break from property because I was so overwhelmed with everything and I was doing everything on my own, trying to find properties on my own. And I didn't want to go back into Burnley because I wasn't sure how it was going to work. And it took a bit of a while to get the refurb going and stuff. And I basically wanted to come closer to home and going to Burnley every single weekend or once a month was a bit stressful. Um, Alex, how long was the journey? Um, so we went on train. It was about five, five and a half hours, but it's like oh, four wow. different trains that you have to get, and it's you, you can't really sit there and do stuff. And yeah, it was about five and a half hours one way. <laughs> wow. Um, so a little bit far. Um, 
but I always wanted to come closer to home. I just wasn't sure how to do it. And I started doing everything on my own, like sending out landlord letters and just everything was just getting a bit too much. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even have a refurb team. So even if I went to go view properties, I had no idea what the refurb was going to be. So it, the more I started to do all of these things, the more I realized I can't actually do it on my own. And I just got a bit, um, what's the word? Like, I just got so demotivated to even carry on a property business. I was like, I've got property, you know what, it's fine. It's renting out. I'll just keep it as that, you know, money is money at the end of the day. And um, I still had a job that I was quite comfortable with. And then I think I started the conversations again with my aunts and then we started again. But we made the same mistake again. We were trying to do everything on our own. And because we all worked full time, we still all work full time. Going on Saturdays, we just get viewings cancelled. We didn't know the areas. We are going to all these places and it just wasn't adding up. And it became more stressful than not having to do property. So we decided to work with sources again, but closer to home. And we were quite fortunate that we found, we spoke to some horrendous people, some really nice people, some horrendous people, some nice people that we just didn't really work with. We just didn't connect as well in business, but we did as people. But then we found um, this couple who were quite new into um sourcing they did their own projects but they quite new to sourcing but they had a really good builder that we all knew and we just decided to go for our first project with them which was the hmo that's all over my instagram um okay. yeah so that that was the second project that i did with my aunts yeah <laughs> okay and where was that one in peterborough okay okay yeah. okay yeah that one's nice actually if you haven't checked out already <laughs> make sure you check out um radica's instagram for that one because i liked there was quite a lot of like creative furnishing and design elements that went into it. It wasn't, you know, your sort of bog standard, like just Ikea white walls HMO. It was a lot of very flary. Um, so yeah, I definitely recommend going to have a look at that if you want some inspiration for your, for your latest HMO. And then what were the numbers like on that one? Um, so we're still going for the refinance at the moment. Okay. Um, we bought it for 180,000. I think that all the fees and everything added up to like 32, no, sorry, 28,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and the refurb on that was 107,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's quite a hefty refurb. Um, and one of the reasons w- was because we put in, um, so when you said about the studio, so we put in the microwave into the cupboards. Mm-hmm. Um, so we reduced space because we knew we couldn't have ovens in there, otherwise it would just go single banded um, tax bracket. So yeah. we said, okay, how do we reduce top space let's put it in cover so that was a little bit more we went for a a bit of a higher finish as well in the bathrooms and everything like that as well nothing structurally like was done apart from the whole rip out but nothing that needed to be did you go back to brick there Mm. go back to brick and how many rooms is it now six so it was a three bedroom we converted it into five studios and one ensuite and then we did a three meter extension at the back Okay then, and yeah. that's where you've got your you've got a kitchen, your general kitchen. So yeah. is it open plan kitchen living room or what? Is it just a kitchen? There's no living room, so okay. just, so the kitchen space was massive already. So we cut back on the kitchen a little bit just to add room to the back um, for the extra room. For the extra room, otherwise it would have been too small. We wouldn't be able to get a studio out of it. But the types of tenants that. Um, the lessons agency has is gamers so they didn't need as much 
in the kitchen. Or oh, just a gamer household. Yeah, pretty much. That's how cool. You know, I'm a secret gamer. Like, if you see behind me, you can't see it right now, but right, right, right here. If you're here, <laughs> like my whole gaming setup with like my headset and everything. I'm, I might move into the gaming house in Peterborough, you know. It's like your man cave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. I'm actually just, um, we're completing on a new place. So I'm actually going to be doing like, a, hopefully, I'll take everyone through the journey. Mm. But a really nice um, detached property out just, just past Cradens. So sort of oh, getting a little bit, little bit greener, but it's really nice, massive garden. But it's currently 2,000 square foot and going to be extending it to about three and a half to oh. three point. So, yes, I'm going to have the ga gamer room, going to have the full setup, everything, everything there, gamer room, poker room, everything, hopefully there. And then I'll, I'll just be abusing the Peterborough gamers online. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice, that's good. Also, um, sorry, someone just asked again, how much was the refurb? Oh, is it weird that I can't actually see the comments? <laughs> Do you know what? I'll just, I'll be the, I'm the hostess oh. with the mostest today. So I'll be telling you. So, uh, yeah, so uh, SXM1 yep. underscore 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 has asked, how much was the refurb? <laughs> 107,000. <laughs> and what do you hope your revaluation to be? So we've just put it in for 422,000, which okay. I get. It's going to come as a down value a little bit. So, our worst case kind of scenario we're hoping is 370 but I think we're gonna I'm hoping we get the 422 but we're I think we're, we're gonna push for the 390-ish mark just around give or minus 5k do you know do you know um if, are they giving you a commercial valuation or a bricks and mortar valuation commercial yeah. valuation yeah yeah so I mean hopefully if they if they you know have you already got tenants in there yeah, so five out of the six rooms, one person's okay. just left, so five out of the six rooms, but we took a bit um, of a hit on the rent, um, just to get those few rooms like filled up as soon as possible. That, that's what might mess you up on your valuation, yeah. because when they do and they meet with your agent, they just value it based on current market conditions. So even if, like, if the market picks up in six months' time and you can get a spike of 20%, they're going to say, look, can we see the ASTs? We've seen it. So you mm. might find that, yeah, that'll be. But I think there, that's when you have to think a bit more proactively and think, okay, what product do we take now? Do we maybe now take a slight hit on the rate and take a flexible product and pay a product fee because we know we could potentially refinance in a shorter space of time and get that uplift? Or do you take the money now and take a lower, maybe a lower rate sort of thing? So that's the sort of trade-off that we have to kind of consider with these revals. Yeah, definitely. I think we're just going to wait. I mean, the valuation's happening on the 29th of this. We had to wait six weeks for a valuation to be booked in. It was so frustrating. Um, yeah. I think we're on bridging at the moment. We're paying quite expensive bridging. So anything to delay it is just causing a nightmare. Yeah. But we're going to see what we get for the valuation. I mean, if we get below 370, we're going to dispute it. Um, but I think the worst case scenario, we're quite happy with like three 375. So... Okay, yeah, that was actually funny enough. It's like you can't see the comments, but you can see them here because um, <laughs> Yusef did, did just literally ask, "Did you use bridging to get to your second bill?" Yeah, so that's your... yeah. We Please. used bridging, and then we used development finance on top, which was a whole new learning curve. <laughs> okay, <laughs> how did you find that? How did you find the? Did you have to wait till you got your planning to get your development finance, or were you able to get it straight away? So there was no planning needed because of three okay. in September, I think, last year. Okay. That you can extend it by three meters under PD. So oh. we did 
need it but we needed the hmo license or approval that we're going to get a hmo license um in that area um what was the question again sorry so basically okay so you didn't need so they were happy to give you effectively your yeah. development finance based on your proposed development scheme that look we're just doing a three meter extension it's yeah. all just going to be under building regs and effectively pd because it's just a hmo license so licensing um, and they were happy to give you your development finance. And did they give it to you in full or did they give it to you in arrears and you had to pay and then they would pay you? Yeah, so they gave it in arrears. But basically, when you submit development finance, you have to submit the schedule of works and what you think the rebound would be, uh, what the revaluation would be. So they'll only base it if they're happy on the specific valuation, which they will go and do. So yeah. I think you pay a little bit more upfront to to get a, a prop voucher and. Yeah. Uh, and and see what they came out they actually van we made a massive mistake and i don't know where this number came from but we put it in as 325 but they came back and said it was going to be 315,000 um i don't know where this number has come from but my builder has done quite a few hmos six bed hmos and he's got between 380 and 422 in that area so we're quite confident that we'll get that i don't know where that yeah. came from um but they did ask for the 10 grand up front i think after we've exchanged and a day before we were about to complete, they asked for 10 grand up front to make up that difference. Um, okay. But in terms of the development finance, we had to pay in arrears, but we could only pull it out once a month. So whatever you paid for, for example, for November, then you can submit to go get that. Um, some um, A quantity surveyor has to go out, do a tick box exercise. You have to pay for that quantity surveyor. Um, and it was like £650 plus that. Um, and then they, they basically give it in arrears if they're happy with it. It's so annoying because they make so much money because all they have to do is, yep, the kitchens have gone in or like there's new flooring or it's been rewired. And, and that's literally it. And then you get your money back. <laughs> yeah, that, that's literally it. And to be fair, I haven't, I've always used bridging. I've never really used development finance. Um, but again, because, you know, this property space, one of the main barriers to entry is capital. Yeah. So if you are able to find a good deal, do your numbers to make sure it stacks and to make sure there is enough meat on the bone to make money, you can sort of leverage and gear slightly higher. So you bridge the initial deal and as you mentioned, and get finance. So all you would need is the £10,000 up front and then they would fund that work. So obviously there'd be an interest cost, but it means that you can do slightly bigger deals earlier on mm. um, and help to sort of expedite your journey. So I think it's good you touched on that. I'm rubbish. I'm actually rubbish for not using it. Like when I speak to you know, Sam Norris and um, Alex and other brokers that I speak to. And they, they're like, they look at me like, why, why, do, why do you not use development finance? I'm like, and my honest answer is because I don't want to pay a surveyor to come out and like sign off stuff that has already, I, I could just send you my building control sign-offs. Yeah. I could send to you that it's been signed off, that, okay, look, yeah, we've done the groundwork. Okay, have we? Yeah, we've done the groundwork. There you go, take it. Um, yeah, have all the steels and structural stuff been signed off. Yeah, it's all been signed off, but actually you have to pay. So you said at the end, if you end up having like 100K and you have 10 site visits, that means they're literally going to charge you six and a half thousand pounds for the site visits on top of on top of the interest. So I think it's a balance. But at the end of the day, although I'm sort of bad mouthing it slightly, if it still makes sense and you cost those costs into your end, you know, your end, your end numbers, and you still make a profit, you're better off. What's, what's that saying? 
a bird in the hand is better than two in the sky. You're better off doing that deal today than waiting, you know, for a year or six months until you've maybe got that funding or it could be 10 years. Yeah. Um, and you touched upon it as what finance you're getting as well, because if you can get cheaper finance, then obviously you wouldn't use um, yeah. and finance or bridging in that case. Um, if you can get cheaper finance, then yes, if you can always fall back onto development finance. You don't have to use it. Yeah. Um, so even if like you propose your deals to say I want to use the finance and it has to be of a certain size you can't just say okay it's a 10 grand refurb it has to be of a certain size yeah and qualify for it but um yeah like you can always have it in the background you won't get charged interest until that uh they pay you the first uh, amount so that's what we're going to continue if we stick with hmos that's what we're going to continue doing is just keeping in the background just in case if we need it yeah because that's that's it literally i mean obviously subject to complying with fca regulations when raising money you know if you were able to raise private equity which is effectively just debt from it could be a friend a family member or just somebody else who wants to invest you could raise debt finance which means like a fixed rate of return and if you could raise debt finance at you know, even up to 10%, it would still be cheaper than the development finance by the time you include the site visits. Because the site visits, depending on the, um, again, this all depends on the amount. Because yeah. if you're raising a million, a site visit of 650 becomes, you know, 0.065% rather than, you know, a lot more over the year. Um, so it all depends, do your numbers. But I think the good thing about development finance or bridging loans, are I would compare them very much so to the difference between having to go out to a shop and find the trainers you really want or using a personal shopper. You're always going to use spend that bit more using the personal shopper, but they're almost going to guarantee you they can get you the product. And that's the same with development finance and bridging loans. Um, actually, so um, I believe it's Imran84 has asked, what is a bridging loan? Do you want to answer that? <laughs> Um, essentially, I don't even know if this is right or wrong with the terminology. It's just like something that's embedded. Yeah, it's pressure. You go for it. We'll just <laughs> pretend this is like a, an HUA five mark exam answer. So nothing too strenuous. <laughs> <laughs> um, essentially, it's like an unregulated loan, isn't it? It's um, it's not mm -hmm. FCA regulated. It's essentially a few companies out there that will value the property and give you the how do you explain what a bridging loan is? Yeah, like... I mean, so a bridging loan effectively is um, it's a short term. It's a loan for it's a short term loan for a specific um, specific purpose. Generally speaking, most developers use them on the basis that we're buying a property or buying an asset with the scope to add value. So the lender would look at it, look at the risk and reward, and say they can see where the potential value is or what the uplift is. So whenever you're presenting to say you want to borrow money from one of these bridges. Uh, they would want to know what your exit is. Are you going to sell? Are you going to sell with planning? Are you going to refurb? And effectively, it's what is the fit for purpose lending product for when you are buying, you know, a property to add value towards a sell in the short term. Because in re in reality, a residential mortgage or a um, buyer to let mortgage are long term lending products, and so they're not really fit for purpose. Um, like you said, it's just, they're unregulated. Um, and they have slightly, well, they have considerably higher rates of interest, but you're effectively supposed to build that interest into whatever profits you hope to be making from that deal itself. Is, I guess, my best way, but I'm sure, don't worry, I'm sure um, Sam Norris is going to come on and slate both our answers. Yeah. So Sam, if you're in the comments, just <laughs> capture this little bit, screen record it, and then say he's going to use it as a caption to say, 
why Kaz and Radhika are both wrong. <laughs> this is how not to explain the bridging project. <laughs> exactly, exactly that. Bridging as well is basically mortgage fraud to get a buy to let and then do a heavy refurb on it. So you have yeah. to go with um, a short term product like bridging to do those heavy refurbs as well. Yeah. And there are a lot of, you know, companies that cross over between both. So, for example, if yeah. you were to use a company like um, Precise or Paragon, both of those have, like, bridge to buy-to-let products. So, effectively, you can bridge it in the short term, whether that be a month or two months, on the basis that they're going to switch you to a pre-agreed buy-to-let rate based on an uplifting value or based on whatever the case may be. Um, so, there are very specific products. If you are looking to use a buyer to let, like you mentioned, it has to be a really light refurb. So literally a bit of painting, decorating, new carpets. Maybe you could squeeze in a bathroom, but generally speaking, you've got a maximum of like six weeks and they want it let out because you're buying to let. You're not buying to refurb. Yeah. The hint is in the name. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Yusef has asked another question, actually. Um, so what methods are you currently using to find deals as the market has gone crazy? Um, so my method has always been to work with property sources and this is a whole another conversation to find property sources but my um, yeah strategy has always been to use property sources so at the moment I have one in Lancashire I have one in um, Peterborough we've stepped away from Peterborough because the deals that we're getting at the moment are just not as fruitful they're like, like leaving in a lot of money um they're not, they're not they're not juicy they're not no yeah. uh, like, he doesn't like a juicy deal it's just what's crazy because i know as soon as i because i've gone through so many like um i've gone through one deal in peterborough but because we've I, we were going for another purchase and then that fell through and then just like analyzing deals in peterborough i know exactly what works now in peterborough so like if someone just says the basic numbers i can tell you if it works or if it doesn't work which is quite crazy but um yeah so now and then i spoke to two in the northeast when i met them yesterday potentially going for um a buy to that um at the moment i can't remember what the questions are now like they're forgetting like what they are all right so basically i was just asking how you source or how, how you source deals, which you mentioned were through sources. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I guess then a follow-up question that I would have was how do you find or how do you, you know, pick a good property sourcer from a bad one, particularly in an area, like not like Peterborough, that you're familiar with, but maybe an area that you don't have that build-up of local knowledge? Yeah, uh, this changes on a day-to-day -day basis, honestly. It changes, and now that I'm, like, kind of bigger on social media as well it changes but essentially one is connecting with them and asking them and just building a relationship with them and I think that's the most important thing is building a relationship with them because you're effectively trusting them so much to find you deals because they're not liable for anything you are liable 100% yeah. for everything that you buy so even if you sign that agreement saying okay we're ready to exchange you've signed the sourcing agreement um you're effectively 100% reliable. So you need to make sure that you can build a really good relationship with this particular person. Um, and then I use social media now just to vet the person, seeing what they're posting on social media, who else they're following with, who else recommends them. The one thing I would say about recommendation with property sources, it's so hit and miss because I can recommend someone, but they might not work for you. Or you can recommend someone, but I completely cannot vibe with them um yeah. there's really hit and miss 
Um, but yeah, check out their social media because if they've got quite a big following as well, like one bad post will really, really ruin their reputation. Um, so, and then the other thing is just go out and check out their projects, what the, who they're working with, who their power team are, um, what's actually included when they're sourcing. So are they doing the project management for you or are they just finding the deal and here you go, move on, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So there's a lot to it, but one is just making sure that you build that relationship and the trust has to be there. So even if that means spending three months to get to know them, going visiting their projects, going um, viewing that area. The other thing that I would say is that I don't work with sources who do the whole of the UK. They have to be specialised in that area yeah. and they need to know that area like the back of their hand because there's so many sources that I've worked with. Oh, where do you want property? Well, I don't know. You tell me, you're the expert. Um, and they were like, oh, do you want it in Yorkshire? Do you want it in Manchester? Do you want it in London? And I was like, what, do you have teams everywhere? He's like, yeah, viewings everywhere. I was like, I can't trust that people like that because they're not specialised in their area. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's a good way. I think definitely the stuff you touched on in regards to the social media is a good way to kind of um, validate validate the sources. I've, I think I've struggled to work with sources. Um, I have a few um, that I've used in the past. <laughs> But my thing is, like, I, I, I do not, I'm mad specific about how they present the deal. Like, if you present a deal, I just want it, like, I want to be able to, from what you've sent me, like, show me the comparable, show me why I should buy it, like, sell me the deal so I can just make the decision there and then. If you send me a deal when I've got a thousand things to do in any, any given day, I haven't got a time to go and, like, I, I'll go and look at the, if, the, if, the, if I'm saying I'm going to buy it, at that point in time, I'll go and do additional due diligence. Mm -hmm. But I want you to sell me on it from you sending me the deal over. So tell me, okay, like give or take, like this is the refurb cost. This is the sourcing fee. This is X, Y, or Z. This is your stamp. Like just put it in a like, you know, put it in an Excel spreadsheet, give it to me there. And then give me a couple of comparables. Give me some recently sold. Mm -hmm. And then I'll, it's like, okay, you don't want to get to a point where it, it sounds good on paper. And then you do the due diligence and you're like, it doesn't make sense. Because then you just feel like that person's wasted your time. Yeah, it's it's really hit and miss. And I have spoken to some dodgy people. And I'm like, how do like, the thing is, when you're presenting deals, it's so easy to fabricate the numbers. And yeah. that's why the comparables, like you mentioned, are so important. I don't really care. If you can say, even like not even have a done up value on it, here's like the comparables. This is what we estimate it to be. I'm more happy with that because I can see that the property sold for X amount or like the last yeah. five properties in that area have sold for X amount, essentially. Or someone sends you a comparable and it's like three miles away and you're like, this isn't even the same area. Like, what are you talking about? Exactly. Well, particularly in London. Like, if someone's sending me a comparable that's not in the same postcode, I'm like, a road away is like £80,000 different. That's a whole different exactly. place. And might as well be like England and Wales, like when you're looking at like different boroughs in London. But yeah, I think that there are, like not too bad, there are some amazing sources out yeah. there. I was trying to think of one to shout out and I can't like, and so they're going to tell me off after they watch this back and say, why didn't you pick me up? So my sources that have sent me deals, thank you very much. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a case of finding somebody that works for you. Uh, I think we've maybe got time for two more questions. So let me have a look. Can I just add something while you look for Yeah, that? yeah, yeah, you go it, for it. It very much depends on what your strategy is because if you're someone that's on the ground doing this full time and you have the capacity to go and get your own deals, go and do your own deals. That's not to say don't work with sources, but you're going to be a better chance of going and getting your own deals and finding out 
the better deals because nine out of ten sources will always have the best deals for themselves or pass it um on to their close investors that they're already working with that they know that that person can commit um so yeah just making sure that you know you're not always going to get the best deals from sources but they're still going to work yeah. for you yeah i think um to kind of just to answer you says follow-up question like i myself and i think you kind of touched on it i specialize so i only do deals give or take in south london so yeah. you i can what that means is i can go and look at 20 deals 100 deals in the space that it would take somebody else to analyze you know one or two because i know straight away from the numbers that doesn't make sense that's not the right price that property that area doesn't have that demand for that type of one bed two bed etc so for me i find deals by specializing really knowing the areas the last three um properties that i've bought whether or not some have been at auction um no, sorry, if I, if I go through like the last sort of 18 months, I think like four, four of them, I bought four properties on the open market. Most of them have been, apart from one, that um, I managed to luckily like get the, the offer through, even though there was like 30 offers on the table. Um, we've all been sitting there for a while and it's a case of you make money in property from seeing what other people have missed and seeing potential that other people have missed. Now your sourcer can do that for you as well, but potentially adding a fee and... You know, if you're not like number one on their list of people to call, yeah. then you maybe won't get all the best deals. But if you can kind of work that into your skill set and your toolbox of being able to actually spot a deal. So if I focus on conversions at the moment, like converting houses into multiple dwellings, if I can see a house for a great price that other people think, oh, that one probably wouldn't work. But because I know, you know, the local planning requirements, know that council, have a good relationship with my architect, etc., it means that I'm a lot more likely to not be able to see what a deal is and isn't. Um, so generally I'd say just specialize and focus on one on one thing in particular. I think the last question I'd like to ask you, I think it just kind of spins off from your last deal, um, which was from, let me find out who it was from actually, because it's from my, you know. I can't believe you know, I can't. Always... <laughs> what did you say? I can't believe I can't see the questions. Yeah, they're just for me. No, 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 no. I don't know why, because if they ask them in the question box, I can pin it. But most people are just talking in the comments. I need to remind people of that at the beginning as well. Next week, I'm reminded I'm not going to answer any questions that are not in the, not in the comment section. I'm going to answer just only the ones in the question box. So um, Angie Gardner, uh, UK, has said, in regards to your deal, would it not have been better to do a JV rather than um, a bridging loan? That is a very good question. Um, That's the, why I saved it for last. <laughs> that is, the thing is, there's three of us in the business. So by the time you take our profits out and give 50% away, I'm effectively only getting a sixth of the of the um, the profit. Mm. So the rental on this one um, at the moment is around 950 profit um, without that last bedroom being taken um so yeah it's around nine five seven or something like that to only get a sixth of that is not worth my time and i know we're doing it over the kind of long term but and and you know the the equity etc in the properties but getting a sixth out of that is just not worth my yeah. time i can't put in a lot of effort for that uh, uh, project. Yeah. if it was on a bigger scale and the profits were bigger, then I would consider a JD, J, no, JV. Um, 
But yeah. So, they, so sorry, for those that don't know, by the way, because randomly use acronyms and not everybody's oh, into property. Sorry. So JV is joint venture as well. I, did, I didn't even say it either. So JV is a joint venture. So effectively that's when you get another partner in um, and they will provide funding for a percentage of the profits. So what that means is rather than raising debt, like we spoke about for a bridging loan or through um, a private investor, you're raising equity to fund the deal. Um, now, through that equity, generally speaking, you have to offer a higher rate of return than you would if it was debt. But then it's an un it's a, it can mean it can be secured if they're a part owner. But generally speaking, if you're raising equity in terms of selling shares, then it is it's sort of unsecured and they have the same level of risk that you do. Um, for me, it just depends on stacking the numbers because number one, you don't have to offer them 50 percent. You can choose what to offer them because it's your deal. Um, and. You know, you may offer, they may raise a significant amount of capital, but you only need to offer them 20% of the profits. You may need to offer them more. Um, and I think in a lot of instances, it depends on where you are, what you can offer, what your options are. But effectively, what it is, is the cost of finance because they're financing you, whether they're putting the money in as a JV partner, it's still a cost of finance. Yeah. Um, so in a lot of cases, you just work out what works best for you. And in your instance, you said, you know what? it was cheaper for you to get um, a bridge yeah. than it would be to get um, a JV partner. The other side of that is you also are now in a relationship, yeah. would be that business relationship, you're in a relationship with that partner. So you need to consider the fact that, is this somebody you can actually get on with or work with in the long term? So one person's keep kept asking, I'm gonna ask you this one more time. What was the name of that um, 10 year loan again you got? for Empty the loans. Empty home loans anti-home loans okay amazing well, um, the um agreement your is something i was absolutely scared to go into a, an agreement with someone that i didn't know unless it was family so the only reason i went into business with my family with my aunts is because i've known them my whole entire life obviously but um i'm very close with I them <laughs> So like, I am very close to them and I know them and I could trust them. Whereas mm -hmm. I don't even trust to the- Trust is key, like, because you'd be stressed every day if you're working with somebody you don't trust. I'm very scared to work with someone. And where I am very hands-off, I don't know, even know, I mean, I'm not gonna put this out there, but I'm very hands-off in our business. We have someone that finds us deals. We've got um, a builder in place. I don't do anything in my business. I mean, I obviously do a lot, but I analyze the deals and things like that. But I was wondering before... how you had all the time to do the reels. <laughs> I'm a content creator. That's my thing. That's amazing. I'm <laughs> jealous. I wish I, though, one day I'm going to be a full time content creator. I am a content creator, but honestly, um, I don't do as much as what the whole property investing world thinks i do um or what other people do on the ground like i'm not on the ground as much i barely go and visit the properties most of my stuff is finding good sources raising money and um content creation <laughs> so <laughs> but i think i think you know just because i think that's a lot of the time especially where if you're fortunate enough to be part of a team specialize because yeah. you're only as good as the sum of the parts of everybody if you can specialize in content creation if you're good at that if you're good at raising finance if you're good at building relationships with sources if you specialize in that and you've got your answer specialize in other areas you're going to be a lot more successful than like somebody potentially tries to do everything themselves who's only as good as you know the sum of themselves as opposed to multiple people
exactly and the jv i think if i go into a jv it needs to be on a bigger development i don't think buying something for 200 250k is gonna be as fruitful for me i'd rather go and raise that money because i know i've done it i've raised that money before so yeah don't why would I give away a larger equity or larger percentage when I can just raise that money for less percentage? Um, but if it was going into kind of the million pounds development or like maybe half a million, then yeah. maybe I would consider it. Just depends how I feel on if I can raise that money or not. No, of course. It's just a case, again, just a case of cost of finance, how you feel, what you want out of the deal. Sometimes it's better to take 50% out of a couple of million. Sometimes it's better to take 100% out of a couple of thousand. And sometimes it goes the other way around. But I think it's just a case of you working out what is best for you. But Redica, we're going to have to wrap things up. It's been amazing. How have you found it? Oh, it's been so good. I forget that people are watching this because I can't see anyone. All right. No pressure. We're just flowing. We're just vibes in. That's our Sunday. Um, We have been, you know, this is... The, it is my 18th now, back-to-back, back, haven't missed a Sunday. Um, so it's been amazing. It's been great to have you on. So you have recently joined YouTube. You are on Instagram. For those who are listening on potentially Spotify or Apple Music, where can they find you? Where are your socials at? Um, my socials, I don't, I'm not on Spotify or anything, but go and check this um what no, is- I mean on Instagram because they can't see you if they're listening. They need to know where you're at. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, so my Instagram is Radka underscore all about property and my YouTube is take a break with Radka but everything's linked to my Instagram page so just go and check out my Instagram page <laughs> amazing amazing so that was me Tazzy with Radka another episode of ask someone else and um, we're live each and every Sunday on Instagram 6 p.m. So make sure you lock in, save the date, set your notifications so you don't miss out all this great free content. If you're not already subscribed to the YouTube, like, you know, sign up on Spotify, Apple Music. I think we got our first 50 downloads with our um, first podcast from season one. It was with Tex, the developer. Our latest one that's going to be out today, if not tomorrow, will be with Alex from AA Drafting talking all things um, architecture in this property space if you want to learn about HMO conversions to new builds um, to conversions from a house to multiple dwellings make sure you download that episode and have a listen leave a review if you can uh, next week next week next week next week we have oh we've got someone very special I've been bringing the ladies through so we've got Lorraine Thomas I believe is it Thomas 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 yeah Lorraine Thomas from my um, Instagram is view from my window. Check her out. See what she does. She's been doing some amazing developments, amazing projects, working with some young people, helping them get into developments. Um, she's got a really good conversion scheme currently going on in Fort and Heath that we're going to be talking about, plus loads of other things that she's been working on. Radhika, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Everybody, thank you for locking in, and we shall see you all hopefully next week. Have a lovely week. Thanks Take care. Bye. Bye.